Hi, I'm Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Last week, we started a series on spiritual lessons from Amy Carmichael, and I'm really excited to be continuing that with our next episode in the series called Action-Based Christianity. And I am so eager to just explore the lives of some of my greatest spiritual heroes with you and unpack some of the practical takeaways that we can glean from their examples. Before we jump into action-based Christianity, I wanted to let you know, for those of you who haven't heard, that we at Ellerslie have a daily podcast called Daily Thunder. It's a very, very powerful daily dose of just really inspiring spiritual truth from my husband, Eric, from Nathan Johnson, myself, and other speakers. So if you're not familiar with Daily Thunder, I'd highly encourage you to go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily, or you can just check it out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. So I hope you'll join us for some of those powerful episodes. So let's look at spiritual lessons from Amy Carmichael's life, specifically in the area of action-based Christianity. If you were able to tune in last week, I talked about something that happened to Amy Carmichael when she was a young woman growing up in Ireland in the late 1800s, there was a very significant moment because she grew up in a well-to-do Presbyterian family and went to church among these kind of wealthy, respectable people. So she had a Christian upbringing, and her family in particular was very strong in their faith, but she was also around a lot of sort of stuffy Christians, I guess you could call them, who never really put hands and feet to their their beliefs. They just kind of went to church on Sunday and there was a expected way that you were supposed to act if you were an upper middle class Christian in that day. And when Amy was challenged to help this old woman cross the street, all these respectable people were looking at her like she was crazy. And God spoke to her heart so clearly that day that she needed to be building her life on the right foundation, a foundation that was not made of wood, hay, and stubble, but one that was made of gold, silver, and precious stones, a spiritual foundation where it would not be disintegrated at the end of time. It would actually last for eternity. So she made a decision that nothing would ever matter to her again except the things that were eternal. And that began for Amy at a very young age, a life of putting real action, hands and feet, to her Christianity. And that, of course, meant sacrifice. It meant taking up her cross daily to follow him. And we talked last episode about how she became one of the few in her generation who was not pining after fashion and society and popularity and marriage, but she was completely committed to living fully for Jesus Christ. And here's something that Elizabeth Elliot wrote in the preface of her biography, which is called A Chance to Die. She said, we read biographies to get out of ourselves and into another person and skin to understand the convulsive drama that shapes, motivates, and issues from that other life. Our current vocabulary includes such terms as identity, role models, self-image, self-actualization, liberation, upward mobility, and fulfillment, worries that never crossed Amy Carmichael's mind. How shall we, accustomed to popular seminars on rights and how to feel comfortable, receive and transmit a faith that prized what the world despises, the cross, and despised what the world prizes, all that dims the cross? The Christian life comes down to two simple things, trust and obedience. What does that mean exactly? We could hold a seminar, but visual aids are better. Let's look at a life. In this book, I offer the testament of one whose loyal answering of her Lord's come follow has made an incalculable difference to me. May it make a difference to my readers. 
So as Elizabeth Elliot pointed out about Amy's life, hers was a very cost-counting Christianity. In other words, she heard that call that said, follow me down the narrow way of the cross. And she said yes to that call. And when we put that kind of action to our Christianity, it always makes other people feel uncomfortable. There will be those who are deeply stirred when they observe action-based Christianity. But there will be those who don't want to be challenged out of their comfortable, self-focused lives with the Christian label. And that was definitely the case in Amy's life. As she began to take up her cross and follow the lamb wherever he would lead her and lay down her rights, put her own personal agenda aside, God began to open her eyes to needs around her and he began to prompt her towards living out that action-based Christianity. And one of the key moments for her was when she went to the Keswick Convention, which was a a series of meetings for people in that time who were very serious about their Christianity. And she went to this meeting with great expectancy, but nothing really happened. It stood out to her. And then at the very closing prayer, the man who prayed quoted from the book of Jude saying, Lord, we know that you are able to keep us from falling. And that stood out to her so dramatically, she began to really understand the enabling grace of God, that she couldn't just prop herself up spiritually, but that God dwelling in her could equip her with grace and keep her from falling. And it completely transformed her perspective on action-based Christianity, because when we put hands and feet to the gospel, action-based Christianity has nothing to do with works-based Christianity, where we are seeking to earn God's approval through the good works that we do. It's literally the natural outflow of someone who is so captivated by Jesus Christ, living in such gratitude for the incredible sacrifice that he made. And it's just sort of the natural byproduct of someone who is fully given to Jesus Christ. And that's what happened in Amy's life, not a works-based Christianity, but an action-based Christianity. One of the first practical ways she began to live this out was to notice that there were several hundred young women in her community known as the Shawleys, and they had to work very long, hard, difficult hours in the factories. They were very poor. They were known as the Shawleys because they didn't have money to buy hats and normal wraps and coats. They had these shawls, these really thin, bare, threadbare shawls that they wore over their heads instead of hats to keep warm. And Amy began to reach out to them to begin to show love to them and practically help them. And soon she had dozens of these shawlies coming with her to church every Sunday. And if you can imagine these girls who were dirty and didn't dress the same way everybody else did and didn't speak and act the way the respectable Presbyterian churchgoers acted, just crowding into this fancy church building. And people really started to look down on Amy for bringing these kinds of people into their church. But Amy Amy really believed in that practical Christianity. She said, what's the good of just sitting in a church building every Sunday and hearing about truth if we never put it into action? And so as the work grew with the Shawleys, she began to recognize that she needed a place for the Shawleys to be able to worship without feeling like they were intruding upon sort of this highbrow society Christianity. So she began to raise money and built this 
hall called the Welcome Hall, and it could seat several hundred people, and it was a place completely dedicated to the spiritual growth of the Shawleys. Now, for a young woman in her 20s to pull something like that off is really, truly astounding, and it's a testimony to the enabling grace of God. She was tireless and just so enthusiastic about this work, but she was in it for the glory of God. And you can see that in how the work was established. When she first began to established the welcome hall. She wanted to have a dedication ceremony. So she invited a lot of influential people from the community, people who lived nearby to kind of kind of consecrate the work to God. And she invited all of the Shalleys and she asked her minister from her church to dedicate this center and that it would be used for the glory of God. And when all everyone had assembled together and the minister took the stage she didn't want to be recognized she didn't even get up onto the platform she sat in the crowd amongst the shawleys without even having her name be mentioned and across the stage of the welcome hall hung this banner that said that in all things he might have the preeminence meaning that in all things christ might have first place and i really believe that because amy was so committed to the glory of God, not bringing glory to her own name or gaining credit for the work that she was doing, but to really get out of the way that Jesus would be seen. I feel like that was one of the reasons she was so successful really for her entire life in putting hands and feet to her Christianity because she was not in it for selfish reasons. Matthew 10, 25 tells us it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. It is enough. And I wonder, is it enough for you and for me to be like our master, Jesus Christ? Are we willing to humbly follow in his footsteps and think about what that means? It means washing the feet of his disciples. It means going among the poor and the outcast. It means being rejected and despised. So it needs to be enough for us to follow that path without the accolades, without the applause, without sort of the glamour that we think should come with doing significant work for the kingdom of God. Are we expecting accolades and approval and appreciation for the work that we do for him or really doing that work for his glory alone? As Jesus said in Luke 17, 10, when you have done everything that you were told to do, you should say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. In other words, you shouldn't expect a huge applause or human appreciation for building the kingdom of heaven. It's something that is meant to be done simply for the glory of God, that his name would be lifted high. So when we replace that question, what do I want? What will make me happy with the question, what will bring God glory? That's actually how we fulfill our true calling. And that was certainly the, tr- the case with Amy Carmichael. She reminds me so much of John the Baptist's example. His theme, the motto of his life was, I must decrease that Jesus would increase. In fact, it says in John 3, 29 through 30, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, that attitude is so counterculture in a world that tries to make us believe that it's all about us and what we want. And even ministry, sadly, can become all about us and what we want and what we feel fits us and fulfills us. But the example that Christ set for us is very different than that selfish agenda. He left his throne in heaven. He made himself of no reputation simply to wash our feet, to serve us, to rescue us, and to redeem us. So we're not going to bring glory to Jesus Christ if we want to be noticed and applauded. 
as it says in Proverbs 25, 27, to seek one's glory is not glory. And then, of course, we have the Pharisees giving us this example of doing ministry, doing good things, but for all the wrong reasons. Jesus says in Matthew 23, all of their works they do to be seen by men. They enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. And then he says in Matthew 6, 8, therefore do not be like them. Amy's life was all about giving Christ the preeminence. And later on in her book, If, which is one of my very favorite books of hers, she wrote this, If I covet any place except the dust at the foot of the cross, then I know nothing of Calvary love. That hit me so hard the first time I read it, and I probably quoted it on other episodes because it's been such an impactful statement in my life. Whenever I feel like I begin to do the right things for the wrong reasons, or I begin to get a little frustrated that nobody's noticing all of this amazing work that I'm doing for the glory of God, I come back to that principle. If I covet any place except the dust at the foot of the cross, then I know nothing of Calvary love. It's very easy to get into kingdom work for the wrong reasons. It might be a sense of personal fulfillment, a sense of getting earthly applause. Now in the day and age of of the digital world and social media, we want to be able to post these amazing pictures and stories about something we're doing that will impress other people. Or maybe we just want a sense of, quote, doing something good with our lives. But before we can really be effective in action-based Christianity, we have to lay everything on the altar, our desire for recognition and applause, our reputation or even our right to do the specific kind of ministry that we think we want to do. Eric and I have spoken with missionaries all around the world who are looking for workers who will come and simply do whatever needs to be done without feeling like, hey, this doesn't cater to my personal wants or my personal preferences. And so many missionaries have told us that is very rare and hard to find these days. If you are in any kind of kingdom work, if you're trying to live out action-based Christianity for your own happiness, your own applause, you're going to be disappointed. And not only that, you're going to burn out very quickly. But if you are in it for the glory of God, you will be covered by his grace, his presence, and his strength. One of the things that Amy Carmichael did in trying to recruit workers for her ministry to the Shawleys was that she really carefully asked each person who wanted to serve why they wanted to serve. And if she got the sense that they were doing it for a sense of personal fulfillment, or they just sort of wanted to do some good works, they wanted to sort of check something off a listing, well, I did something good, I did a good charitable work, or maybe they wanted other people to look at them and say, wow, you're doing a really good work. If she sensed any of that self agenda, rather than I must decrease so that he would increase, she would not accept them as workers in the welcome hall. And that takes a lot of courage, I think, in modern ministry to say to turn someone down because you don't sense that their motives are all about the glory of God. But that was a principle she carried with her even onto the mission field. And years and years and years later, when she was establishing her ministry work in India, that was something that she held very fast to. And I really believe that that was one of the reasons her work at Donover was so powerful and so preserved for so many years, because she only accepted co-workers who were in it purely for the glory of God. I would encourage you, if you are interested in building a lifestyle of action-based Christianity, to let God purify your motives. 
And I believe this is what he did for Amy Carmichael on that day when she heard his voice by the fountain while she was helping that old woman in rags. He was basically challenging her, what foundation are you building on? Are you doing these works for your own agenda, your own self-glory, for the approval of other people? Because if you are, you're building on a foundation that will not last for eternity. And he challenged her in that. And her motives were purified. She went to her room that day, shut herself in her room and sorted things out with God and decided, I am only going to live for eternity, things that are eternal. So ask yourself, go through that same purification process of motives. Why are you doing this work in the first place? Is it to make you happy or is it to bring God glory? Asking that one simple question can so quickly put everything into perspective and give us the strength and courage to keep going when we feel like giving up in ministry or when we feel like giving up in action-based Christianity. When God is in his rightful place, we have the grace to keep going. When self is taking center stage, we will not have the grace to keep going when things get difficult. A lot of us today desire to have a ministry or that sense of doing something for the glory of God. Maybe we envision mentoring other women at coffee shops or leading a women's Bible study or organizing a conference or even reaching out to homeless or orphans and working in orphanages overseas. And all of that can sound very romantic, but very few of us are truly prepared for the difficulty and the challenge that comes with real gospel work. And so a lot of Christians start out very enthusiastically in ministry, only to wane in that commitment as soon as ministry does not become as fun or glamorous or easy as they expected it to be. Amy Carmichael counted the cost of action-based Christianity from a very early age. She chose a life that said, I'm going to be dead to the world and dead to its applause. I don't want an easy, comfortable life. I want to get my hands dirty building the kingdom of God. I don't want any credit for myself. I want the name of Jesus to be lifted high. After her work with the Shawleys, the next project that she dove into was living and working among the slums in Manchester, England. And here is an excerpt from her biography, A Chance to Die, written by Elizabeth Elliot. Amy lived in a slum teeming with people, tough, hardworking, hard-drinking people. At night, she heard the yells and screams of fights. In the morning, it was the factory sirens and the clatter of wooden clogs as people went to work in the dark and cold. But what I remember most vividly, Amy wrote, is that the most loathsome sort of punchy used to crawl through the thin walls. And punchies in quotes, I think she's talking about some kind of a bug, probably a cockroach. And Elizabeth Elliot says, this was good missionary training. If one is preparing to storm the bastions of heathendom, it won't do to blench at creepy crawlies. She learned to do without things most precious, privacy and quiet. The neighborhood was not what her family would have thought safe, and once, walking to the railway station, she was mobbed by hooligans. She walked on unafraid, cheered by the story of a brave ancestor who had marched through a hostile crowd. In Amy Carmichael, the faith of her fathers was living still. So here was a a young lady who had grown up in a privileged home, a wealthy home, and she chose to live and work among the slums so that she could bring the gospel there. And one of the reasons she chose to live among the slums rather than just go in on a daily basis is that she wanted to prove to the young women that she was ministering to that the gospel was real. The faithfulness of God 
was real, even for people living in difficult situations. She didn't want to encourage them to live out things that she wasn't also willing to live out in her own life. So she lived there for quite a long time until sickness eventually brought that work to a halt. But Amy never abandoned that action-based life that God had called her to. And you'll see that all throughout her life over the next several decades when she was in Japan, when she was in India, even when she was at home in England, she constantly lived that action-based life saying, I want to get out of the way. I want to bring God glory. I want to be his hands and his feet to the, the weak and the lost and the dying around me. So what are some of the spiritual takeaways from Amy's example in this area of action-based Christianity? I would encourage each of us to prayerfully consider some key questions. Are there areas in which we have been hearers of the word, but not doers? It's really easy to sit in church or to read Christian books and not actually put into action the truths that we're reading about. Are there ways in which God is asking us to put hands and feet to the truth that we have been given? Are there people in our life, in our own community, like the Shawleys, not the Shawleys because that was for a different era, but people like them who need the hope and the light and the love of Jesus Christ? Are we willing to pursue them as Amy did? Are there areas of ministry in which he needs to purify our motives to make us completely willing to decrease that he might increase? Are we willing to do something amazing for God, enabled by his grace, but then take the lowest position and have that statement that in all things he might have the preeminence, even if nobody ever knows our name? Is it enough for us to simply become like our master, Jesus Christ, and follow him down the narrow way of the cross? Or are we expecting something glamorous and exciting and full of human approval? I encourage you to take some time to prayerfully consider how you can begin to live out an action-based Christianity. Again, this is not a works-based Christianity where we're trying to earn God's approval or earn our salvation through the good things that we do. Just like Amy Carmichael, it is the natural byproduct of a life completely captivated by Jesus Christ. It's a natural response that says, Lord, you have given everything to me. Now I give everything to you in return. No cost is too great to live a life that brings glory to your name, Lord Jesus. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. We're going to continue to explore spiritual lessons from Amy Carmichael in our next couple of episodes. If you would like to go deeper in learning what it means to live a truly Christ-centered life, I invite you to go to setapartgirl.com and see the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.